Chapter Six of *The Girls of Gardenville* by Carol Watson Rankin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: The Tribulations of a Triplet. One. The Stone Girls were, by all odds, the most interesting pupils in the Gardenville High School. Everybody admitted this, and everybody knew the reason why. It was not, however, because their house had once been struck by lightning, although that, of course, added distinction for several other Gardenville residences had, at other times, likewise been struck. It was not because of the Stone Sisters' superior intellect, for everybody knew that little Pauline Winthrop could recite far more brilliantly. It was not because of their surpassing beauty, for half a dozen girls eclipsed them there, nor was it because of their wealth, for they had none. The interest was due to the sole fact that the girls were triplets. The high school teachers had had experience with twins. They had coped with the Bradley boys and the Bentley girls, and had come out second best. They had graduated the two boys and both girls with all honors, and had forever afterward entertained a horrible suspicion that one boy and one girl had done all that work. They gave the triplets up on sight, and decided to educate them in a lump, as they had been obliged to do in the case of the Bradley and Bentley children. It is possible that the triplets themselves knew which was which. No one else did, with the exception of their mother. Oh, yes, Mrs. Stone would say proudly. I can tell them apart quite easily. I have only to look into their eyes. To be sure, the eyes are all the same shade of brown, but the expression is quite different. Can't you see the difference? But the interested visitor never could. Besides, Mrs. Stone would add, there's a great difference in the girls' dispositions, they're really not at all alike. But to everyone else, and particularly to their teachers, the girls were certainly a puzzle and an unsolvable one at that. One of them never had a lesson. One was admirably conscientious and painstaking about her work. One was the soul of punctuality, and one was always late. But which was who and who was which, no one was able to determine. Mr. Ball, the headmaster, said, Don't ask me. I'm not good at puzzles, and those girls are a puzzle if there ever was one. Miss Brown, the preceptress, said, Give me something easy, a problem in higher mathematics, for instance. As all the other teachers were equally bewildered, the triplets had things pretty much their own way, and worked or shrieked as it might happen, but always in a triangular partnership. Of course, said Miss Brown, it isn't possible that one of those girls is doing all the work. The girl that is strong in mathematics is not the one whose essays are so good. The one with the neat handwriting is not the girl with the talent for drawing. Yes, agreed Mr. Ball, each of those girls is lame in some one study and strong in another. I'm afraid the only thing to do is to divide the good and bad marks equally among them and to let it go at that. In naming the children, Mrs. Stone felt it her duty, since nature had already done so much toward making them alike, to give them the same name, with variations. So she decided to name them all, with delightful impartiality, after her own mother, whose maiden name had been Ada Rogers. Consequently, one triplet became Adelaide Rogers Stone, another Adeline Rogers Stone, and the third unfortunate Adelette Rogers Stone. Mrs. Stone was proud of Adelette, because it was her own invention. 
but the bearer of the unusual name hated it from the bottom of her rebellious soul. Mrs. Stone carried out the same idea with regard to their clothes. When the children were little and she was still inexperienced, it was her habit to address the shopkeeper thus. How much cloth does it take to make a dress for a child of four? If the shopkeeper said three yards, Mrs. Stone would always respond, Then give me nine. As the girls grew older, the task of keeping them dressed alike was made easier by the fact that the triplets possessed a stout and childless aunt, who was fond of dress and in comfortable circumstances. This convenient Aunt Harriet was in the habit of giving her partly worn gowns to her sister, who made them over for the three girls. By throwing in one of her own more sober gowns for facings, sleeves, and trimmings, Mrs. Stone was able, by careful management, to make three dresses so exactly alike that the girls themselves could never tell them apart. As Mrs. Stone said, there was a great difference in the dispositions of the three girls. Adelaide was proud of being a triplet and wouldn't have been a mere twin for anything. Indifferent Adeline cared nothing about it one way or another. But Adelette was heartily and frankly disgusted with the triangular state of affairs. Sometimes she scolded about it to the Bentley twins, who were the only persons at all qualified to sympathize with her. "'I'm perfectly tired,' she would say crossly, "'of being a triplet. I'm just sick of being only a third of a girl. Even our initials are all alike, so it isn't any use for me to have initials. Then such a name, Adelette. I could stand being Jerusha or even Samantha, but horrors Adelette.' I think it's pretty, comforting Louise Bentley would say. Pretty, bah, Adelette would growl. I hate it. I hate myself, too. It's bad enough to see one's freckles every time one looks in the glass without seeing them duplicated on two other girls' noses when one turns around. It's bad enough to have to wear Aunt Harriet's hideous plaids and huge polka dots without having to see them paraded about on two homely sisters. It's trying enough to have red hair without being reminded of it constantly by having to see two other redheads all the time. I like your hair. I think it's lovely, gentle Louise would murmur. You wouldn't, Adelette would reply, if folks looked at your three redheads and made silly jokes about saving coal. Perhaps not. Then think, the disgusted triplet would continue, of what I've had to put up with all of my life because of other people's blunders. They put a blistering mustard plaster on my chest when it was Adelaide who had the cold. Father rushed me to the dentist, who wouldn't let me explain, but pulled out my tooth when it was Adeline who had the toothache. And the last time Grandma was here, I had to take all three doses of sulfur and molasses one morning because the other two victims managed to escape in time. I know, consoled Louise, I came awfully near getting two vaccinations once, because my sister was afraid and had crawled under the bed. Well, Adelette would conclude, I'm going to do something desperate some day. See if I don't. I won't be a miserable triplet all my days. But the poor girl could think of no way out of her unique dilemma. She ate pickles because she had been told that a diet of pickles would make one thin. Perhaps, thought she, if she were to become very thin, she could look less like the other girls. But the pickles, not having the desired effect, were presently abandoned in favor of a glass of milk at bedtime each night. 
You see," she confided hopefully to Louise, "I've heard that milk taken at nine o'clock every night is perfectly certain to make one fat. Surely, if I get excessively stout and the girls stay thin, the resemblance won't be so marked." "I'm sure it won't," comforted Louise. But the daily glass of milk was no more efficacious than the pickles, and poor Adelaide remained the counterpart of her two satisfied sisters. Except for Louise, who lived so far away that she made rather an unsatisfactory chum, Adelaide had no intimate girl friends. For who could whisper secrets into one girl's ear when there were two other pairs of ears precisely like it? She was seldom asked to the delightful small parties given by the other Gardenville girls, for there were three of her to be invited, which would have made a large party out of any small one. Indeed, when the Sweet Sixteen was organized, not always tactful Mabel Mercer, who got it up, looked doubtfully at the triplets and said, "'It would be perfectly lovely, of course, to have all three of you, but I'm afraid you'll have to take turns coming to the meetings.' Adelaide envied her small brother, Johnny. He was a complete boy all by himself. He belonged to four clubs. He could go to three-thirds of all the meetings. His clothes were his own, his room was his own, and his lessons were his own. He had the satisfaction of knowing that the jackknife he found in his Christmas stocking was not duplicated in two other stockings, and when he had his photograph taken, he knew he was himself and not his brother. Besides, he had a monopoly of his reflected self in his mirror, not that he spent much time looking at it. Best of all, he could wear his own clothes and be perfectly certain that they were his own clothes. At one time, Adelette thought seriously of running away, but as she could think of no place to which to run, she gave up the idea. One day, Louise asked her if she ever played with dolls. "'Dolls!' exclaimed Adelette scornfully. "'Well, I should say not!' Every doll I ever had was a triplet. I gave them up ever so long ago, because I'd just had more than enough of triplets. 2. The Stone Girls were to be graduated in June. Since there were three of them to study each lesson, they had made astonishing progress while in the lower grades, and in consequence were to have the honor of being the very youngest girls ever graduated from the Gardenville High School. All three, of course, were in an unusual flutter of excitement. It happened that, although there was nothing remarkable about the triplets' voices, they were able to sing fairly well, and it occurred to Miss Brown, who was arranging the program for the commencement exercises, that a trio by the triplets would prove a unique and pleasing feature. The idea was pleasing to Adelaide and Adeline, but to poor Adelette, it proved the last straw. I won't do it, said Adelette, so there. But, my dear, pursued Miss Brown persuasively, you sing that song so well, and it's so appropriate. Three Lovely Maidens by the Three Misses Stone. I detest that song, muttered Adelette wrathfully. It's bad enough to be one of three maidens without singing about it. But, my dear, protested Miss Brown, I took it for granted that you'd be willing. The program has gone to be printed, and it's too late to make any change. Why should you mind? Because I'm just sick of being a freak, explained Adelette, her brown eyes snapping angrily. I'm sick and tired of being a triplet. I'd rather be a hottentot. My dear! 
Yes, Miss Brown, returned Adelette, glad to relieve an overburdened mind. I'm perfectly tired of going about in thirds. I hate the figure three. That's why I'm so lame in mathematics. I leave out all the threes. I think that clover's the horridest plant that grows. Sometimes I wish that Adelaide would have smallpox, and that Adeline would turn green with envy or purple with rage and stay so. I'm so sick of their everlasting faces. Why, Adelette, exclaimed horrified Miss Brown. Well, I do, and I am, asserted Adelette breathlessly. Oh, please say we needn't sing. Do use us for background where nobody can see us collectively. I'm afraid it's too late, replied Miss Brown decisively. The arrangements are all made and everything's down in black and white. Then I'll have to do it, said Adelette, but I'd rather lose a tooth. That night, sensitive Adelette was seized with an inspiration. She crept out of bed, found her pocketbook, and counted the contents as well as she could in the dark. Adelaide stirred uneasily, and Adeline began to talk in her sleep, but neither awoke as Adelette slipped from the room. The discontented triplet tiptoed across the hall, stole into the spare room which was furnished in pink, closed the door after her, and lighted the gas. Then she turned down the white counterpane that covered the spare room bed, disclosing a pink and white striped quilt tufted with yarn. The color was pleasing and the pattern exceedingly dainty. If there'd been enough of that for three gowns, murmured Adelette, eyeing it gloatingly, it would have been made up for us. But as there wasn't, they made it into a quilt, which was a great waste of good material. It's the only pretty thing Aunt Harriet ever bought. Dear me, I've always wanted a pink-flowered gown with a nice full skirt. Ours have always been so dreadfully skimpy. The midnight marauder, satisfied with her visit of inspection, pulled the counterpane over the quilt, straightened the pillows, turned out the light, and crept back to bed. But her countenance, for the first time in many days, wore an expression of complete satisfaction. Indeed, when Mrs. Stone went to call her in the morning, she found her smiling in her sleep. "'Why?' asked Adelaide the following evening at the dinner-table. "'Did you go into that hairdresser's shop this noon?' "'For hairdressing, of course,' twinkled Adelaide, who seemed unusually cheerful. "'Your head looks like it,' scoffed inquisitive Adelaide, with a glance at Adelaide's ruddy head, which was in its usual rumpled condition. "'What were you doing in that place, I'd like to know?' "'Taking time by the forelock,' returned Adelette demurely. "'I may get bald some day, like Aunt Harriet, and need a false front.' "'But why so soon?' queried Adelaide suspiciously. "'Because it's just as well to prepare for war in times of peace,' said Adelette. "'But if you don't stop asking foolish questions, there'll be war right now. "'I need my mind to think with.' Adelette continued cheerful. She even practiced three lovely maidens with an enthusiasm that astonished and delighted Miss Brown, who had to ask to make certain that it was Adelette who sang with such pleasing abandon. Adelette must be planning to surprise us with her essay, remarked Adeline a week later. She locks herself in the spare room with it for an hour or two every day. I never knew her to study anything so faithfully before. It is strange, said Adelaide. Usually she seems to learn things without studying. Commencement night arrived. Three white dresses, all alike to the very last ruffle, were laid across the three single beds, 
and the three excited triplets were ready to slip into them. Little Mrs. Stone was flying from one excited daughter to another in nervous haste, and stout Aunt Harriet, who had contributed the dresses, seemed to be in everybody's way at once. "'It's pretty thick in here,' said Adelette, gathering up one of the fluffy gowns. "'If you don't mind, Mother, I think I'll take possession of the spare room.' "'I would if I were you,' said Aunt Harriet, noticing the girl's excited eyes and scarlet cheeks. "'It'll do you good to be by yourself a little while.' "'Girls,' said Adelette, pausing at the door, "'I have a little errand to do after I'm dressed, "'so don't be uneasy if you find that I've gone on ahead.' "'There were thirty-two graduates, of whom all but six were girls. "'Mrs. Stone, down in the audience, "'tried to distinguish her white-robed triplets, "'never had she been prouder of her triplets, upon the stage. "'There was one unmistakably auburn head, "'there was another, but where was the third? Mrs. Stone began again at the beginning of the row, but only two red-gold heads could she find. Then she counted. There were thirty-two exceedingly nervous pupils, but only two with hair that could by any stretch of the imagination be called red. Adelette's essay was the fourth number on the program. Mrs. Stone looked expectantly at her two visible daughters, and Harriet gazed fixedly at her two visible nieces. Neither of them stirred, but a strange girl at the end of the first row stepped forward. All the other girl graduates wore white. This one was attired in a quaint but becoming gown of pink and white flowered dimity, made with an ample ruffled skirt. Her abundant hair was black as midnight. So were her eyebrows. "'What in the world?' whispered alarmed Mrs. Stone. "'Has become of Adelette?' But surely, even though it trembled, there was Adelette's voice." Surely that was Adelette's essay. Mrs. Stone had heard it too often not to recognize it now. But where was Adelette? Mrs. Stone snatched Aunt Harriet's opera glasses and gazed eagerly at the dark-haired girl. As I live, whispered she, turning to Aunt Harriet, that's Adelette in my spare room bed quilt. But what has she done to her hair? Well, said Aunt Harriet, beginning to shake like a large variegated blancmange, if I'm not mistaken, she has either bought or rented the wig off the wax lady in the glass case in front of the hairdresser's store. She left a paper dollar marked for the quilt pinned to one of the pillows on the spare room bed, and I found a burnt cork on the dresser after she left, so that's where she got the eyebrows. But why? began bewildered Mrs. Stone. Well, returned Aunt Harriet, who was a sensible woman in spite of her peculiar taste in clothes. This is the occasion of a lifetime for Adelette, and I suspect she wanted to graduate as an individual and not as a triplet. She has made that gown herself, for I've noticed pink threads on her dress every day this week, and she has made a good job of it, too. I, I suppose I ought to scold her, faltered Mrs. Stone helplessly, but some way, Harriet... See here, Sarah Stone, interrupted Aunt Harriet, I'm going to take that girl home with me when I go back east and let her try her hand at being a whole independent girl for a while. I believe she's worth both the other girls put together, if you'll excuse me for saying so. At any rate, she needs a rest. She'll like her sisters better if she's away from them for a while. Shh, said Mrs. Stone. They're getting up to sing. So they were. Three lovely maidens, a trio by the three Mrs. Stone, came next on the program. It was a great success. 
but for once the superintendent, the principal, the teachers, and all the scholars knew to a certainty which of the triplets was Adelette. End of chapter 6